Amen and good morning. Welcome to Battleground this morning. If you're a guest with us, there should be some notes there at the back as well as a Bible. If you don't have one, you're welcome to take that. We're in Psalms 51. We've, we've been here for really two weeks. Last week, Pastor Micah laid out verses 1 to 6. Before that, we sort of set the context by telling the story of David and Bathsheba. Most of us know that story well. David, the king, takes a little bit of me time and stays at home and finds himself looking at a woman who is taking a bath on a rooftop, commits adultery, and then murder. And then, listen, this is important to the message today, then spends a year in non-repentance. And so let's stand to our feet as we look at this second part of Psalms 51. We'll finish it up next week. But today our task is Psalms 51, 7 to 12. I hope that little video that plays stays in your mind because there's imagery there that we'll see today. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me the willing spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, we have gathered here in your name and we have heard your word. So I pray for us today. I pray that you will make us porous, that you will open us up, Lord, that we not only may hear your word, but that it may permeate it, it may heal, it may restore, it may renew us today. Lord, we need you. We cannot do this. We cannot fix ourselves. We cannot wake the dead. We cannot feel ourselves, Lord. So, Lord, we pray, would you do it today through your word for your glory? Do it in us. Lord, we are yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Very one-point sermon today. Sort of just a continuation of Pastor... Micah's message, the Lord God graciously renews and restores those who cry for mercy. We know the story, I hope, of the prodigal son. It really is a tale of two sons, but we focus in on the prodigal because he was, remember him, he's the one who left, told his dad, I wish you're dead, so just go ahead and divide up the inheritance, I'll have my stuff and go about my way, and that he did. You remember old Old country song a long years ago said he wasted his time in wine, women, and song and ended up with nothing, eating in front of the pigs. And you remember the passage where the son says, came to himself, and he says, I will return to my father, and I will tell my father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me a slave. So he did. Remember the story. When he was a long ways off, the father in that day, they wore the long robes and tunics. He hiked up his tunic and took off running toward his son. His son barely got it out of his mouth. I 
Dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The dad grabbed him around him and kissed him and he told his servants, put a ring on his finger and put my robe on him and sandals on his feet. Can you imagine what the son was thinking at that moment? I had this speech all rehearsed. I blew it. A son? This is mercy. This is the father's mercy. You see, that's a story not really about two sons at all. It's really about the mercy of a father. This is David's reality. It's your reality. Pastor Michael last week said it's the Romans 7 reality. The things that we know to do, we don't do. And the things we should do, we don't do. There's this war within us. And sometimes, just honestly, we just royally blow it. This is common experience of all of us. It's David's common experience. It's your, your common experience. It's my common experience. Psalms 50. Remember, God is the judge. It's a judge that intervenes. He intervened in David's life. That's, that was mercy. He intervened. And was so Psalms 51, as we saw last week, is David's response when God confronted him about his sin. We looked at it last week. Let's review. What is confession? Say we're supposed to confess our sins. What does that mean? Pastor Micah taught us that last week. Does anybody remember? All right, Micah, I'm not going to preach. You've got to get up and preach the message again. No, it means to, agree, to say the same thing. It means you agree. God says it's a sin. You say, that's right, you're right. Steve Lawson says this, Confession is agreeing with God about your sin. It involves repentance or a turning away from sin confessed, no longer embracing it. And so I hopefully, we understood last week, we said, okay, I... I I get it. We, we agree with God. We cry out for mercy. We cry out for forgiveness. But what does it look like? Notice the, one of the songs we had, the blood applied. What does it look like when it's applied? I mean, are we really just trying to work ourselves up to, so that we feel better? What does it look like to have this applied in our lives? So David prays for the Lord's God for the application of God's renewing. For the application of God's restoring grace, he did this through imperatives in this text. He started it last week. There is a chief imperative that we learned last week, and it's in verse 1 of Psalms 51. It is have mercy. This is what you would say, the chief imperative. Have mercy. But what does it look like for that mercy to actually be applied into your life and mine? It should hit you. So, an imperative is a command. So, David's telling God what to do? I mean, what's up with that? This is critical. We've been singing it all morning. What David has came to realize in his own life is that he needs God to do something that he can't do. In other words, he has no other option here. If he wants mercy, if he wants joy, if he wants his sin to be removed, only God can do it. He had nine months and it's still there. Time does not heal it. Made it worse. We're going to see that today. So, me and Rachel started laying tile yesterday. Here's what we didn't do. 
tile needs to be put on the floor. It needs to be applied. We want it there. I don't want to do that again. I'm hurting so bad right now. I don't want to do it about one time. <laughs> Here's what I didn't do. I didn't go buy a bag of that thin set mortar and just open it up and just pour it all over the floor. Stick it down there and say, they're ingredients, you see. The ingredients have to be mixed together. Here's the truth. I don't want to have the ingredients in it of myself. To mix this together, to get mercy in my own life. No, I cannot get mercy in anybody else's. We need this from God. What are these imperatives? Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. What is hyssop? This word purge is an important word. This word purge comes from the root word sin. So whether we, we probably wouldn't want to admit it, but some, it's happened at some point in time. You open up underneath your counter at the kitchen or the bathroom and you see like half a dozen little roaches crawling around. You call the exterminator and what do you tell them to do? I said, I don't care what you got to do, but you need to debug this house. Just get rid of them. I don't care what, I don't want to open up. I don't want to see them things crawling around. This is what he's saying. Descend me, God. Descend me. Take it. I, I, I shall be clean, but only if you do it. So do you see his faith? His faith is growing. He's dealing more straightforwardly with his sin, but he's expressing his faith. Lord, if you remove it, it'll be clean. There's a couple of pictures here. One is that of leprosy, and one is the Passover. So if you had leprosy and you felt like you was cleansed, you went to the temple, they, they would take hyssop, that's just a plant. They would apply the blood, they would sprinkle the blood on you. You see, you, you can't paint a wall by taking a bucket and throwing the paint on there. The paint has, it has to be applied. And so what he's saying is, only the only thing that will descend me is the blood. So apply it, God. Sin, this, this is an important imagery. Imagery is everywhere in this text today. Sin is spiritual leprosy. It doesn't go away with time. It gets worse with time. Every month, every year, you slowly and slowly isolate yourself and it will take you and it will destroy you one piece at a time. He says, Lord, you need to get rid of this. There's another imagery playing into the hyssop plant and the purging from sin. It's this picture of, of the people of, in captivity, the people of Israel in captivity. You remember, and God told them to take that hyssop, dip it in the blood of a lamb, and put it over the doorpost so when judgment came, nothing would befall them. Purge me. Then he says, second, wash me. We looked at this last week. So somebody tell me. The little video, we call it the bumper video, the little video displayed. What was the dude doing with the rock? Did you remember seeing him? He had that, he had something. What was he doing? Washing clothes, right? Laundry, we looked at it last week. That's what that word means. He's repeating it, which means this is important. You ever had it? You've probably done it. We've all done it. Mamas know this. Child gets a stain on their shirt. Do they tell you when they get home, hey, I dropped a little something, something right here? No, no. They take it off, 
inside out. If you're lucky, they put it in the laundry. They may just throw it behind the bed or something. You know, anyway, they turn it inside out. Let's say they put it in the laundry. You don't get to that batch for like three days. And when it gets out of the laundry, you finally flip it inside, outside, right? And what is that stain? It's set in. This is the picture. This stain, listen, especially over time, doesn't go away. It gets more set in and more impossible. The negative today. We're going to look at negative and positive. A failure to repent has caused the stain of his own sin to be set in. The good news, the Lord can remove it. And he puts his faith in him. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. It's amazing. I know, no shock to Pastor Micah, he's a musician. This, this psalm provides just a richness for songwriting. Isaiah 118 speaks and uses this exact same language. It paints this other picture. Isaiah 1 verse 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be, are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool. This is what he's saying, Lord. If, if you launder me, I'll be as white as the most beautiful snow on a crisp morning before anyone has walked on it. Purge me, wash me. Number three, let me rejoice. Let me rejoice. I want us to slow down here. He mentions joy twice in the imperatives of the application of mercy. This is critical. Let me rejoice. Look at verse 8. Back to Psalms 51. Let me Hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Let me hear it. Remember, David's a musician. thought it was funny. I didn't get a chance to, to, to tell Micah this. But this week, me and Micah was offices are right beside each other. We were both studying the Word. What was I doing? I was writing this message. What was he doing? He was writing music. We laugh about this. You know, I think I'm trying to put everything, condense it down to maybe one line or a small. But Mike is in there with his guitar, studying God's Word, writing music. This is what David does. Here's what he's saying. I can't hear it anymore, God. This year hasn't helped me. I can't write it. I can't hear it. A failure to repent has cost him his joy and his gladness. And he knows it. Here's his faith. God can restore my hearing so I can hear the song and the goodness of your word. I'm going to see this desire next week. This is like a failed relationship. You know, you ever have a song and you're in a relationship and woo, you just love that song. And then all of a sudden the relationship goes south, that song comes back on. And the same song you really love, now you're like, oh, I could just rip that song right out of the radio. God can restore it. Spurgeon. No voice can, could revive his dead joys, but that which brings the dead to life. Pardon from God would give him double joy. Joy and gladness. David feels, look at the second line, he feels the misery of his sin in his bones. What does that mean? That the results of his sin and the results of this non-repentance is just trying to move on with life. It's made him miserable in his own body. He's having physical issues. Sin and a lack of repentance. Listen, this is critical. 
It causes physical, mental, and emotional pain. In other words, it makes you miserable. Could this be, brothers and sisters, while we are so highly medicated, we stay in our, our sin and we medicate our misery? Oh, God has a better way. Psalms 32. Psalms 32. Don't hear your pages rustling. Psalms 32. Psalms 32 is, remember the word blessed? At the very simplest, bullet down means happy. Means more than happy, but it doesn't mean less than that. <laughs> Psalms 32, listen, says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no thing. Happy is he. Look down at verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. And shout for joy, are you upright in heart? This is his desire. He needs the application of it. He don't need it in hypothetics. He don't need Christianese language. He needs his joy to come back. And he can't make it. He's the king. He has the world at his command. And yet joy and peace is like somebody else's dog. You can call it if you want to. It's not coming. Peace and joy belong to the Lord. And He can send it. And that's what He cries out for. Number four. He returns to this imagery. Blot out. Blot out. Look at verse 9. Two words focusing on the same things. Hide your face. It's an important word in the Bible. Especially the Old Testament. Hide your face from my sins. And blot out my iniquities. Okay. Test number two from last week. What does blot out mean? Remember, let's, let's think about it. You got a pencil, you're writing something, you make a mistake. What do you need to do? Erase it. That's what that means. Erase it. I want it to be there. My eraser's not erasing it. Erase it, God. And then he uses this word hide your face. I want you to see this used because this is used in reverse here. Of almost everywhere, Psalms 143, almost everywhere else I've found, Psalms 143 is a pretty good representation of the way it's normally used in the Bible, and I think it helps us. Psalms 143, look at verse 7. Psalms 143, verse 7. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide your, not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down in the pit. So let's just think about this for a second. If, if God hides His face from him, what's going to happen? He's going to go down into the pit. If Lord, if you don't show up, if you don't show your face to me, I'm going to die. That's what he means. So now, go back to the text. Verse 9, hide your face from what? My sins. You see, hide generally is used to show withholding of God's mercy. And if God withholds His mercy, what comes is justice. And so we, you would normally pray, God, don't hide your face from me or bring your mercy to me. Bring your grace to me, God. Here's what he's saying. Give justice to my sin, but not me. 
Don't give justice to me. Give me mercy, Lord. Hide your face from my sin. Remove it. In case you haven't got the point this morning of what I've said over and over, time does not restore. And it has no power to renew. Only Christ does. That's the Bible. And listen, if you be honest with yourself, that's your true life experience. David couldn't get away from his memories. He saw it. Every time he saw Joab, or he sent Joab to send Uriah to the front lines, he saw it every time he passed his baby's grave, every time he sat with his now wife Bathsheba. Can you imagine David attending the the funeral of Uriah? That's why he's miserable. That's why he's crying out to God. I can't get it out of here, God. God can. The failure to repent has cost him his own freedom by his constant reminder of his sin. It's making him miserable. By the way, P.S. This is why we don't shame slap people into obedience. And if you don't know what I mean by shame slapping, you should because we're in the biblical South. We love to shame slap people. We love to do it from the pulpit. Shame slap them into obedience does not work more. They might make them feel guilty, but listen, it cannot bring joy. Only Christ can. The Lord can remove it. This is what he's saying from his record. So he says, If I don't remember it, why are you remembering it? If mercy is the chief imperative, there is a heart imperative here. It's in verse 10. Create in me. That's the imperative. He's asking God, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. This is an amazing word. This is the word barah. It's the word from Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. That's what he's asking God to do. Derek Kidner says this, With the word create, he asks for nothing less than a miracle. He desires what only God can provide. Create, and he uses the word, you see the second line? Renew. Renew. You know what that word means? It means to make new. To be new, or listen, to restore to newness. David's actions cost him something that he can never get back. And he knew it. And listen, let's be honest, we all have. We've all been David. To some degree, we all are David. David's actions cost him something. And he's asking the Lord, Lord, in your mercy, renew me. Make me new, God. Created in me. I cannot create. I'm not God. I can't create what doesn't exist. Only you, God, only you can do that. I can't, I can't fix what I've broken. I can't renew myself. I can't undo this, God. He asked for God to do a creative work. Listen, this is not just his past failures. This is his future life. He's 
God, restore me, renew me, create a clean heart in me. I've got to live the rest of this life. I don't want to do that again, God. I don't want my children to. You see, our sin and our failure, they affect us, but they should not confine us nor define us. They are in our lives to bring us to a point of dependency so that we might be renewed and restored. David desired what he never had. A steadfast heart. Heart's not prone to wonder. You remember the new covenant promised over and over in the Old Testament. I love this account. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32. I love how personal this one is. Jeremiah 32 Verse 37. Behold, I will gather them from all countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. And I will make them an everlasting covenant and that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. And I will rejoice in doing good and I will plant them in the land of in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. This is God speaking. So He sent Christ. Creating me. This is personal, isn't it? It is for David. Recording this for be used in worship services and God's people. And he says in verse 11, God, cast me not away. Cast me not away, God. See it? Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. This should catch you as New Covenant Christians. Catch your attention. Holy Spirit. This is only... One of two times the Holy Spirit is put together in the Old Testament and used. Isaiah 63 is the other one. So even in the Old Testament, God's people know God's Spirit residing in Him. But then man, what does this mean? What does this text mean? It can mean one of three things. Many people... Preach it this way. David's praying, Lord, I think I've lost my salvation. I sinned, I blew it. I, I'm, we're going to see in just a minute whether that one's true or not. God's Word explains itself. Did, did he mean he, he was afraid that he just lost his salvation or that he, like Saul, lost his kingdom? Saul sinned, he lost his kingdom. Or is this actually a loss of God's presence and power? The loss of the ability to be used by Him. There's no doubt in the way this language, He has Saul in His mind. does. He remembers what happened to Saul. He's not speaking of eternal security here. And we'll see that in the next verse. He's not. What is He doing? He's acknowledging this. I cannot live a holy life, no, not one second without you, without your Holy Spirit. 
He desperately wants and needs the help of the Holy Spirit in his every single moment in his life, and his actions have proved it. I need, I need you, God. Don't remove your divine power and presence from my life. Don't sit me on a shelf. I desire to know you and to be used. I believe that's what he means by here. Not only does this psalm overall prove it, it's other psalms prove it as we'll see but let's look at the seventh our last imperative he comes back to this issue of joy second time he's brought this up do you think that joy is important to him he's brought it up twice in the application of mercy into God's life joy restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit notice here in this text Now, what does he pray for? Does he say, restore to me your salvation? It's not what he says. It's not about eternal security. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's what he lost. (laughs) He didn't lose his salvation. He lost the joy of it. Sin had cost him what he treasured the most. Knowing God. Enjoying God. Sitting around with his instrument and thinking of the things of God and writing, writing these poems and songs. And I love Psalms 27. It's one of the most important in my, in my life. And I, I can remember Psalms 27, 4. I really, brothers and sisters, don't understand people who say they're Christians and yet don't enjoy gathering with God's people. I... I have a hard time understanding that. I think David did as well. And This is the NIV version. I just like the way that it sort of captured the heart of David here. Psalms 27, 4 says, The one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. This is what He's saying. Restore this to me, God. I miss that. I miss it, God. I want this back. I want to know You and enjoy You. And yet I understand today, I've had this conversation many times where maybe I'm talking about our our children, our, their adoption, how they came into our life, or something like that, and talking about the good news, and yet people say, okay, hold on a second. So you're saying David desires mercy applied, which means he's forgiven, all this is removed, he removes the shame, he removes the guilt, he brings back his joy, he brings back his gladness, and you're sitting there going, well, hold on a second. I'm Bathsheba's daddy, and I'm not okay with that. How about Uriah's parents? What would they say? You're saying God just forgives it? That He'll give him back my gladness? You know, if I was your eyes' parents, maybe I would be saying, you know, he deserves to be miserable on his best day. And you know, that's probably true. But could we, if that's where we are this morning, if that's what's going through our minds, you just don't know what I've been through? Could we back ourselves up in our life just to get in your, the helicopter of your memory, back yourself up and look at your life in the past five to ten years and tell me who you are in that story, in this story. Are you Uriah's parents or are you not David? We're David in the story. 
We need God's mercy. And what we need right now is the gospel. Turn with me to Romans 5. Romans 5, verse 6. As you turn, brothers and sisters, remember this. About forgiveness and the lack of forgiveness. About repentance and the lack of repentance. If we fail to repent, we may well become what we despise. We praise the Lord for the gospel. For the gospel reminds us, as we remember in our life, Lord, I am like David. I am, I am prone to, to fall. And I have proved it many times that I need your mercy over and over. Here is good news this morning. Romans 5, verse 6. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Amen. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps... If you looked around long enough for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows, He proved His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we now have been justified, declared righteous by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by His death of His Son. Much more now shall we be reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. And if that's not good enough, and it is, He said it's not it. More than that. Do you see that? More than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliations, and so we rejoice. It's good news. What can we take away from this today? Just a couple things. I'm plenty of things, but two things I want us to lean into this morning. Do you understand the danger of non-repentance? Don't miss the story of David's life. And listen, don't miss the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember? Let's go back to that in our minds. There was another son. Do you remember him? He stayed home. Everybody thought he was the good son. He wasn't the good son. He was the non-repentant son. And oh, if we could read the original language, we would realize blatantly that that story just ends. Just ends. That, that, that parable was not finished when he told it. It was finished at the cross. For you see, do you know what happened to the son who stayed home? He rose up and killed his father. That's what happened. That's the rest of the story. And the story was told at Calvary. When the very religious people who God told and warned to repent did not repent, and it was so dangerous, and they rose up and killed the king of glory. Jesus is the father in that story. Oh, there's a danger in not repenting, brothers and sisters. Hebrews says, Do not trample the cross of Christ under your feet, for it is too precious. We come to Christ, we come and repent of our sins, we put our faith in Him, and then we need it every day. We don't trample the cross by holding on to something that brings God dishonor and will kill us. But 
Do you want, want this? To restore the joy of my salvation. Do you desire that above all things? Do you know that God, your glory, His glory and your joy are not at odds with each other? They're not enemies. They're friends. They go together. God's glory and your joy are one thing in your life. Romans 5 one says, therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we also obtained access by into this grace in which we stand. And listen, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's joy attached to this. There's no other way to get it. No temporary relationship, no prescription will bring you a joy that transcends your situation. How will we respond to this good news today? Every time you hear the gospel and I hear the gospel, even when we hear it in song going on the road on the radio, there is response. The gospel commands, it demands a response. And so, weekly almost, we've been reminding each other of this wonderful text in 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful. If we confess our sins, He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so in just a minute, after I pray, we're going to respond. And as I see it, there may be more Three basic responses today. Reject the good news today and stay in your sin. Repent and place your faith in Christ. Come to the table. Come to the table and remember the gift of God's grace given for you. Come to the table and rejoice. That what we could not do, Christ did. Come to the table with a grateful heart. A heart that has just received forgiveness of all your sins, past, present, and future. Here's what we want to do today. In just a minute, as I pray, the worship team is going to come. I want you to come and I want you to take the elements in your hand like we've been doing for weeks. And here's what I want you to do as we sing. I want you to hold them. And here's what you're going to sing. Jesus, thank you. I invite you now with me to pray 1 John 1, 9, and then come to the table. Take your elements, go back to your seats, and I will lead us in just a minute to take the elements together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. and. Lord, we know in Psalms 51, there's some heaviness here. David is responding over his sin and over a long period of time that he hadn't repented. And God, in your grace and your mercy, not only did you confront him, you caused him to write this down so that we could right now benefit from it. Oh God, I pray this as we think about next week and the finish of this. That we not be the next generation that goes into exile because we would not repent.
we would be the generation that would rejoice in so great a salvation and to enjoy you and to live for you. And so, God, now we come to you, not by any merit of ourself, but we come to you in the name of your Son, asking you to forgive us. Forgive us for our lack of prayer. That we are so busy doing our list that we have made and we forget to commune with you every day. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us of our selfishness towards those that we love the most. Restore to us, Lord, the joy of living a life that is pleasing to you. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that the Bible records that you are our Father who will never leave us, never bails on us, does not shame slap us, puts his arm around us, lifts up his pants and runs to us kisses us puts his robe on us makes us his children we thank you Lord and so now as we come to the table and in doing so express our faith and your, our, your sufficiency to save us to the uttermost and Lord we ask you now we be allowed to commune with you and to remember the gift of your son and to say with our voices thank you in Jesus name stand together